one day at a time. Won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about Bugsy Bugsy Malone. He's a sinner, candy-coated. For all his friends, he always seems to be alone. But they love him. Bugsy Malone. <laughs> <laughs> I love Paul Williams so much. Oh, man. I'm going to assume that most of the people listening yes. right now have not seen yes. this glorious film. Uh, yeah. yeah. It is one of the most unique films I've ever seen. Probably one of the most unique films ever made. Yes. Uh, so bizarre. It's a... Incredibly bizarre. And watching it again, and it's hard to find too. So yeah, we had to uh, get it from the library. Adam yeah. had to stream it from the yeah. library. Yeah, there's a, an app, a couple different apps you can actually, if you have a library card, you can stream. But this one was Canopy with a K, and uh, you can with a a um, library card, you can watch like nine movies a month with yeah. it or something. We just just airplayed it, it from his yeah, phone. It was super, to the TV. it was pretty cool. Super funny, considering that we were watching this strange movie from 1976. Oh yeah, but it is definitely worth it to see it because honestly, you've never seen anything like it. There is nothing else like it. Uh, it's it's taking an adult, uh, taking a script that he wrote, and then deciding to cast children, and then making it a musical. What is? This has been, it's been a long time since I've seen this. Yeah. I loved it as a kid because yeah. I like gangster movies and pie fights and everything about it I loved as a kid. Because, I mean, you you forget how big pie fights were. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Youth. They were I mean, Everything thing. ended yeah. in a pie fight. Gen X pie fights, man. Yeah. <laughs> we have a whole pie fight month. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but listening to the script this time around, yeah. it's a good script. Like, oh, the yeah. dialogue is snappy. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. like... The kids aren't the greatest actors. No, no. Jodie Foster is amazing. Like you can yeah, tell yeah. how good an actor she is oh, yeah. by just watching all the others. The the kid that played the mob boss, not Fat Tony or whatever. Fat Sal. Not Fat, Fat Sal. Fat Sam? Fat Sam. Fat Sam. The other kid, he was Dan- also great. Dandy Dan. Oh, yeah. Dandy Dan. Looked he, like a little man. He, that mustache was so realistic. But his portrayal was, was really good, He too. was great. No, he was great. He was great. Uh, the, yeah, fa- definitely Fat Sam. I liked Fat Sam a lot, which he wasn't really acting. He was more just shouting his lines. Yeah. But it worked so well. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, Why don't you yeah, take sorry. us back? Take yourself back to 1976. Yeah. July 15th, 26 Chowchilla school children and their bus driver are abducted and buried in a box truck within a quarry in Livermore, California. The captives dig themselves free after 16 hours. The quarry owner's son and two accomplices are arrested for the crime. What? They kidnapped a bunch of kids and then buried them alive. Motive? I No idea. I, I didn't look any further into this. Horrifying. So no they dug idea. themselves out. And they dug themselves out, yeah. Uh, it's it's a yeah yeah. <laughs> Bugsy Malone. Uh, for our uh, stepdad show, I'll do some more research on yeah, that. Yeah, please. Because what that's, the hell that that's actually crazy. was? It's really crazy. July 29th in New York City, the son of Sam pulls a gun from a paper bag, killing one and seriously wounding another in the first of a series of attacks that terrorize the city for the next year. Yeah, the dog told me the to door. He just said the door, and I did it. That's what the dog said. You know, the dog told me the to door. Uh, yeah. There's a really good documentary. It's an interesting documentary, The Sons of Sam. In, it's interesting. It's yeah. uh, 100% Bugsy, 
BS. There's this whole theory about yeah, all of these yeah. Sons of Sam that Son of Sam was like a part of a some weird cult of killers yeah. or something. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Uh, it, it's not, yeah. Uh, it's a really interesting documentary. It's interesting, it, but yeah. It's, they don't portray it as being real. Yeah, yeah. They just they know cover it. Yeah, yeah. But anyway. Yeah, but the dog told me to do it. He just said do it, and I did it. Uh, August 21st, Massachusetts child Angelo Andy Pugili, Pulisi went missing from a public pool near his home. The search and mystery still continues today. He was never found. Damn. Yeah. September 15th, Bugsy Malone is released in the United States. Which made up for all of those tragedies. <laughs> is that what you're saying? It's weird. The concept of this film is so weird. It really is. It's kids playing adults. They're not playing kids. No. Uh, it is super bizarre. It's a world. It's it's the world of 1930s Chicago or New York. New York. I think it's supposed to be New York. Um, Prohibition era. Yeah. The it's gangsters like, fighting against gangsters. Fat Sam versus. and. Yeah. Versus Dandy, Dandy Dan. Dan. Yeah. You know, Bugsy Malone is caught in the middle. Yeah. Oh, poor Bugsy Malone. But it is. It is a gangster movie. Yeah. With kids. And yeah. instead of guns, they use pies. And the, the thing is, they come up with these splurge guns that shoot pies that so are like Tommy weird. guns that shoot pastry. And it, it totally shifts the oh, balance yeah. of the mob war because yeah. these new yeah. guns, you can't compete. You no. throw a pie. You My can... favorite thing is when Fat Sam's like, hey, get it. Hey, get against the, get in the corner. And he's like, whoa, whoa, Buzz, what are you doing? And he picks up the pie. He's like, get in the corner. He's like, why me, Buzz? What are the do? I'm just the driver. He's like, get in the corner. Boop, throws the pie. He misses him. He's like, see, you yeah. can, even the dumb driver could duck out of the pie. We're outmatched. We got to get them <laughs> splurge guns. The old hardware, as he called yeah, it. <laughs> the old hardware. The old hardware isn't working anymore. So Bugsy Malone is the brainchild of writer and director Alan Parker. Again, the fact that it's Alan Parker that put I, this together yes, is a, another even part of the so, bizarre yeah. Yeah. Machinations of this. And the fact that it was his first film and that he had a career after this just blows my mind. Of course he did. Um, He did everything. The only thing he didn't do was put a bunch of animals in this movie to make it the hardest movie ever (laughs) made. Right. That's true. That's true. So a little background on Alan Parker. He was born in 1944 into a working class family in Islington, North London, the son of a dressmaker and a house painter. He grew up on a council estate of Islington, which always made it easy for him to remain... Almost defiantly working class in attitudes. A council estate, if you don't know, is the British form of, like, tract housing. Uh, It's a group of homes all developed at the same time. Yeah, a lot of those... In a lot of the working class movies, like... uh, the Full Monty, yeah. and you know, yeah. you see a lot of those kind of houses and where people just kind of live on top of each other. It's basically yeah. house yeah. to house to house to house. Yeah, it's everything stacked up together. I, it's similar, I mean, technically, even townhouses like stuff of. that your stepdad did was technically council estate like housing. I mean, because it's developing an entire area at one time. Most of the time, uh, as I associate it, is that it's, it's a government owned thing, but that's not always the case. Tract housing is all similar like yeah what yeah. my stepdad did he just built a uh subdivision yeah oh, so okay, he okay. built basically a neighborhood and then you sold the lots and, oh gotcha okay, and the okay. lots had custom homes right okay they okay. weren't not similar. they were all yeah. put together and it was a custom home subdivision rather than a tract housing there was tract, which was yeah really got really big here in the late 70s early 80s yeah and it was after uh, world war ii they they had a boom of tract yeah. housing because of of getting soldiers back in expanding out west and all this stuff 
so Parker said that although he had his share of fun growing up, he always felt he was studying for his secondary school exams while his friends were out having a good time. Aww. Yeah. He had an ordinary bra- background with no aspirations to become a film director, nor did anyone in his family have any desire to be involved in the film industry. The closest he ever came, he said, to anything related to films was learning photography, a hobby inspired by his uncles. Parker attended Dame Alice Owens' school, concentrating on science in his last year. He left school when he was 18 to work in the advertising field, hoping that the advertising industry might be a good way to meet girls. Well, yeah. (laughs) That's how it always begins. (laughs) But more than anything, he said he wanted to write and would write essays and ads when he got home after work. His colleagues always uh, also encouraged him to write, which soon led him to a position as a copywriter in the advertising company. Parker took jobs with different agencies over the next few years, having by then become proficient as a copywriter. By 1968, Parker had moved from copywriting to successfully directing numerous television advertisements. Now, in the 50s and the 60s, advertising was king. Oh, it was everything. If you were in advertising, that was the coolest business to be yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. You know, Mad Men... Yeah. glorified that in a really cool way. I mean, showed it pretty much kind of how it was. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like advertising is was super like respectable and yeah. You know, it was it was tough business to get into, and if you did well, you did real well. Oh yeah, it was a great way to make a lot yeah. of money. Yeah, that's where the money was. In 1970, he joined his former boss Alan Marshall to establish a company to make advertisements. That company eventually became one of Britain's best commercial production houses, winning nearly every major national and international advertising award. Parker credited his years writing and directing adverts for his later success as a film director. Hey, looking back, yeah, I came from a generation of filmmakers who couldn't really start anywhere but commercials because we had no film industry in the United Kingdom. And at the time, people like Ridley Scott, Tony Scott, Adrian Lynn, Hugh Hudson, and myself. So commercials proved to be incredibly important. Parker wrote the screenplay for the 1971 film Melody. It was directed by Waris Hussein. He was a BBC director who directed some of the early episodes of Doctor Who. Ooh. Uh, Melody is a 1971 British children's romantic comedy drama about puppy love. It is told through the vu- viewpoint of the children in the story, the adults playing only supporting roles. Interesting. Although the film was a box office disappointment in both the United States and Britain, it was originally marketed as Swalk, S-W-A-L-K in the UK. Okay. Which I don't know what that means. I couldn't find a definition of what the hell that's supposed to mean, uh, which may have been part of the reason why it didn't do terribly well. It turned out to be a hit in Japan, as well as some Latin American countries such as Mexico, Argentina, and Chile, and a modest hit in South Africa. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> Super weird. In, I get Japan. They like kid stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in 1973, Parker wrote and directed his first fictional film, No Hard Feelings. Uh, the film is a bleak love story set against the Blitz in London during the Second World War when the Luftwaffe bombed the city for 57 consecutive nights. Sexy. Yeah. Parker was born during one of those bombing raids and said, The baby in the film could well have been me. With no feature film directing experience, he could not find financial backing and decided to risk using his own money and funds from mortgaging his house to cover the cost. Uh, bad, bad idea, buddy. Yeah. The film impressed the BBC, which bought it and showed it on television a few years later in 1976. The BBC producer Mark Chivas had, in the interim, also contracted Parker to direct The Evacuees in 1975, a Second World War story 
uh, sorry, a World War II story written by Jack Rosenthal, which was shown as a play for today. Play for today! Uh, play for today is a British anthology series that ran from 1970 to 1984, airing more than 300 different programs. Kind of like the Saturday Night Mystery movie. Tune in to play to today! Yeah. It was an easy way, and I believe everything was shot as if it was a staged yeah. like, production, so it was much easier to shoot and cheap and... Good stuff, and 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 gave gave people a chance. You know, I mean, like Alan Parker, he was able to to make a name for himself doing yeah. this. The evacuees was based on true events, which involved the evacuation of school children from Central Manchester. The evacuees won a BAFTA for best TV drama and also an Emmy for best international drama. Despite his success, finding new ideas that financiers would back was difficult for Parker. Executives deemed his work parochial, Ooh. being too narrow in scope to have wide audience. While trying to find a film project that was not parochial, Parker decided upon an American gangster setting. I had four young children, and we used to go to a cottage in Derbyshire at weekends. On a long, boring car journey up there, I started telling them the story of a gangster called Boxy Malone. They'd ask me questions, and I'd make up answers based on the memories of watching all movie reruns as a kid. His eldest son asked why the heroes couldn't be children, and Parker agreed. They also asked why his accent kept changing <laughs> in weird ways. It's, it depends on when he talks to his kids. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> Parker had worked with children on a bunch of commercials, but a feature film was a logistical nightmare with legal restrictions, proper schooling during shooting, and the minimal house allowed under the lights. Yeah. It, even back then, yeah. in the swing in 70s, it was a pain in the ass. And there is not one adult in this movie. No, no. Uh, Parker said about it... But I was just starting out. I was fearless and a bit naive. To complicate things even further, Parker decided to make the American Gangster Children movie a musical parody. Let's just pile on the hard stuff. <laughs> and they were zookeepers! <laughs> and then they cast an elephant for no reason. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, after he wrote the script and decided that he was going to cast children, he started his casting process. It's the 70s, man. This could not have been made in any other decade. Except no. for maybe the 30s. It could have been like a our gang type of thing. Yeah. But it still wouldn't have had... But even then, it wouldn't have... Yeah. It was the magic of the 70s, baby. It was so weird. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> the director chose to cast several unknown actors in the film, uh, because why not make it harder? Right. Uh, <laughs> yes. The casting process lasted over a year. Parker took a video camera across America and U.S. Air Force bases in the U.K. And these video cameras were like 100 pounds. Yeah, this was 1976. It wasn't iPhones. like just sticking it in your wallet or your wallet, like your briefcase and just taking it with you. I mean, this was 1976 video cameras, yeah. He recorded almost 100 school Christmas shows and saw almost 10,000 children. 100 children's Christmas shows is hell. That's hell, man. I after number 10, I'd probably been like, yeah, I'm going to do something else. Number two. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, actually, that's probably true. All of the kids cast were under the age of 17. The average age of the cast was 12. Ugh, bunch of little bastards. There was definitely some kids that look older. Like, there's a couple times where I was like, oh, there's an adult, but he's just probably a 16-year-old. Yeah, or a kid that hit a growth spurt. Or he's, he just yeah. he looks so much older because everybody else, the main cast is so young. Yeah, teeny. Yeah. All of the uh, sorry, I just said that. In total, there were almost two hundred children working on the film. The official paperwork to allow the children to work in the movie was mountainous. Every child actor had to have an individual medical exam and work permit. More than thirty-three English councils were involved, as well as bureaucracy in New York and Los Angeles. And they shot it in England. 
Yeah. So, so they it, cast yeah. all these kids from a bunch of American America kids in Canada, and yeah, and then shipped a hundred kids off to. Well, I'm sure they cast. A I bunch don't think of kids. it was. I think most of the cast was British. Sure. Uh, because most of them didn't have lines. Right. But but the main cast was almost all American. Ugh, uh, man. Yeah. Yeah. So he cast Scott Bayo as Bugsy Malone. Chachi! 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 <laughs> this is pre Chachi. This is all pre Chach. Uh, this is just before the Chachi. It was. It was. Uh, Bayo was 13, and he was incredibly tired of auditioning for parts. He said about the process of auditioning for Parker I quit the business because it didn't like driving into Manhattan. Well, the long and short of it is that I wanted to play with my friends after school. But it happened to be raining that day, so I went to the city to meet with Alan Parker. I read it, but I just barely read it. Didn't even want to be there. He was English, but I didn't even know what that was. He was just this weird guy with long hair, and I didn't know what he was. <laughs> so I, I read the script and threw it at him. <laughs> and walked out the door. And that was it. I'd gotten the part before I got home. Buggity-boo, chickity-doo, chachi. Uh, the irony is that Parker recalls his audition completely differently. In fact, even the city, he says they found him in L.A., not yeah, New York. This is, this is pure Scott Baio BS. Yeah, I don't know if I buy it. Uh, they had already actually cast a Bugsy, but Parker really liked his attitude and cast him in the part. He was perfect. Look, yeah. most of you probably know Scott Baio today is a sad... Here's the thing that really bothers me, okay? I'm just going to say this <laughs> sure, right off the sure. bat, because I, Scott Bio was great in this movie, and, you know, he was a huge star yeah. for a while. A huge star. Chachi was big. He had his own show, Joni Loves Chachi, which was huge, yeah. and then went on to do Charles in Charge, which was really big, and then in yeah. syndication ran for years. The guy had a great career, something that most people don't get. Yeah. In this business. And this was all really before he was, like, 30. Sure. I mean, it yes. was, yeah. A lot of success, okay? So now... He's just a bitter old white guy who just screams and yells about everything because he's been forgotten. Yeah. And rightly so. He had his time. And he, he should be thankful that he had his time. And if he yeah. would have been a better person, he probably would have continued to work out of nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, people love bringing people back. Look at Quentin Tarantino. You know, yeah. these people that grew up loving these people always bring them back to do something. The reason why he's forgotten and whatever is because he became bitter yeah. and Super right wing and just gross. That bitter old white guy grossness. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. That's, I wanted to get that out of the way, so now we can just be really <laughs> sweet about Chachi from, from now on. So Bayo's mother actually talked his father into letting him accept the part for his feature film debut. I don't want him to do it. His dad was not thrilled. I don't think. Look, I don't want him to turn out to be one of those guys. You know what I mean? Well, part of it is that they spent like three months in England, and I, I don't think the father was thrilled about that. He gonna come back English. <laughs> You're going to speak in that English. I'll be able to understand my own son. <laughs> According to reports, Bayo was perfectly behaved on set, but would regale the crew with talks of his shenanigans from the previous night while off set. Yeah, his BS. He was apparently... Yeah, a, went out, a, you know, I went out yeah. there and was in Trafalgar Square smoking cigarettes, you know, and hanging out with a bunch of the Beatles. <laughs> Bayo would obviously go on to play Chachi, as we said on Happy Days and Johnny Loves Chachi, and then his syndicated sitcom Charles in Charge. Great. I, I was a big he, fan. Yeah. You know, he was a very, very handsome, charming guy. He was very one yeah. note, you know, yeah. but he, yeah. he, he played that note well. Yeah. He played that note well. And he was really good in this movie. He was one of the very few. He was great. Yeah. He was very charismatic. He had the look. He yeah. had the feel. And he got it. You know, I mean, 
there were kids that got it in this movie and kids that didn't quite get it. He was one of the kids that got it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, Flory Duggar as Blousey Brown. Uh, (laughs) Flory, now known as Florence Garland, was originally cast in a smaller role. When the actress cast as Blousey had a growth spurt and was suddenly taller than Bayo, who was 5'2 at the time. Lamatini gay. Uh, Duggar was promoted to the part. She had been uh, discovered at RAF Chicksands, an Air Force base in Bedfordshire, where her American father was stationed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the lack of any on-screen chemistry between Flory and Scott Bayo is particularly noticeable in their scenes <laughs> together. Yeah. Well, okay. She definitely looks the part, and she has her moments. But like so many of yeah. the young actors in this, she's just not that good. You can see them either looking off screen mm-hmm. at whoever is coaching them right. or just about to. And her Every delivery time. is always kind of the same. But she, yeah. I mean, she. there's a couple of scenes, too, where it's like, it's very snappy, poppy dialogue. Yeah, yeah. And they have a cute little rapport. They do. I, I, I don't know if I totally agree that they didn't have any chemistry, because there's definitely some yeah. scenes where, like, Sparks. you know, when she gets out of the being droll and, like, angry yeah. and, and kind of accepts him for who he is, then, then it gets better. Yeah, like right before they were going to take off together. When they were, yeah. You know. Or when they, they, they do the, the montage, the romance montage. You know, yeah. like where he finally convinces her to like come out and like hang out, and, doing the the swinging from the tree over yeah. the water shot that everybody <laughs> does on picnics. Uh, Flory and Scott Bayo had a frosty relationship offset. She admitted years later that she just couldn't stand him. Uh, yeah, he was a little off putting even back then. I, the irony is that almost all of the other young ladies cast in it had huge crushes on Scott Bayo. Of course, because everybody huge. loves the cute bad boy. Yeah, the worst. Yeah. Do you remember what it was like being – the worse you treated somebody, the more I, they liked you. I did not treat people bad, so I was alone for gr- most yes, of my exactly. childhood. Because you were too nice. <laughs> uh, Flora did not continue her acting career. This is her only feature film credit, and uh, she did have something in 2022, but I think it was like a documentary about – either about the movie or something else. Hey, you when know. you hit perfection, it's time to move on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John Cassisi as Fat Sam Stacchetto. Fat Sam, stop it, Knuckles! Stop doing the Knuckles, Knuckles! I got, I, I got to admit, I he's great in this part. I think he was cast perfectly. Oh yeah, but I could not stop staring at his teeth. <laughs> he's got <laughs> some choppers. His teeth were just—it's like he was pushing his teeth forward the whole time. Oh, yeah, man, this wasn't—you know—it <laughs> was, was pre-orthodontures <laughs> renaissance, but it was perfect for the part. I mean, it was it perfect. Was great. He did some other stuff too. I think wasn't he on like um, fish? Yeah, 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 yeah. He did. He did. He did. He definitely did some other. With stuff. a Vagoda. Uh, he was yeah, one of yeah. Abel Gould's yeah, kids, the, the spinoff of Barney Miller. Uh, to find his fat Sam, Parker visited a Brooklyn Catholic school classroom asking for... The naughtiest boy in class. The yeah. students were unanimous in selecting John Cassisi, and Parker gave him the role. Hey, it's that little prick right there. Everyone jumped up and pointed at him, <laughs> and they were like, get him away from us. Hey, He's what, mean. what do you want? Hey, yeah. come on. Hey, you. <laughs> this was John's acting debut. He would go on to score a role in the Barney Miller spinoff Fish. Uh, he acted on stage for a bit, then retired from acting in 1982. He actually became involved in construction work. Nice. From 2012 to 2014, he served as the director of global construction for Citigroup. 
In 2015, he pleaded guilty to a bribery scheme and was sentenced to two to six years in prison, plus hey. a $500,000 forfeiture. Hey, look, you're going to have to give me a little taste of something if I'm going to get a little taste from you. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know how much time he actually spent, uh, but I'm pretty sure he's out now. He needed the money to get the splooge guns, Adam. <laughs> Sorry, the splooge guns? The splurge guns, <laughs> Adam. Uh, yeah, I... Uh, he was great, though. I, I honestly, he was one of my favorite parts in this yeah, movie. Yeah, he had a lot of energy. He 100% looked the part. Parker has gone on, on record saying that he, uh, he he did not act well, but he said all the lines with great gusto. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did. Uh, Jodie Foster was cast as Tallulah, Fat Sands Gun Mall, the speakeasy's Chantus and Bugsy's Old Flame. God Damn, even back then, she was so, so good. Oh, yeah. So yeah. good. But she'd already been an actress for like 10 years at that point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, her ancestors actually arrived in America on the Mayflower in 1620. I think mine actually did, too. Did they? Well, with her, oh, yeah. that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow, you got a connection to Jodie Foster. Not 100% sure, but I'm sort of sure. Okay. That's how gross I am. (laughs) Despite being only 13, Jodi had been acting since she was three. Her first acting job was a Coppertone commercial. Prior to Bugsy Malone, Jodi had been in half a dozen features, including Napoleon and Samantha in 1972, her feature film debut, playing the title role with Johnny Whitaker. Kansas City Bomber, a sports film in 1972 with Raquel Welch. Johnny Whitaker, wasn't he from uh, Family Affair? And I the think little so. prince, he the little a, redheaded kid. Yeah, Johnny Whitaker was a big star. Yeah, yeah, he was, he so was huge. huge. Yeah, he yeah. And, and Buffy, Buffy and Jody. Yeah, family affair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. French, Mr. French, <laughs> Mrs. Beasley. Oh yeah, yeah. Uncle Beal, Uncle Beal. <laughs> uh, one little Indian in 1972 with James Garner and Vera Miles, uh, and she was in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore in 1974, directed by Martin Scorsese. Oh, yeah, Mr. Scorsese. Uh, she also had four other films released in 1976 along with Bugsy Malone. Uh, she was just so insanely busy. Yeah, but, I mean, they were all super adult. Oh, no, no, totally. <laughs> the Little Girl Who Lives Down the Lane with Martin Sheen uh, was released in 76. Yeah. Echo, Echoes of a Summer with Richard Harris and Brad Savage from Red Dawn. Damn. Yeah. Uh, Freaky Friday, where she played twins. Ah, such a great movie. It's a great movie. And, of course, Taxi Driver with Robert De Niro and Martin uh, Scorsese. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to correct you, my friend. Stardom. Freaky Friday, she doesn't play twins. She switches bodies with her mom. Oh, is that You're what You're thinking of Parrot Trap. Oh. Parrot right. Trap was with uh, Vera Miles, I believe. Is oh, no, you're right. You're right. You're Freaky right. Friday right. Freaky was Friday so was, fun. I was thinking of Parrot Trap. Because I... Th- oh, man, who plays her mom? Really great actress. But uh, I don't remember. But they switch places, so she has to so play the adult. So she plays the adult. Interesting. Oh, great movie. Such a great movie. Uh, so Parker said, despite Jody saying later that she was terrified of the British cast. She got on well with the cast and certainly wasn't aloof. Well, she had every right to be. I suspected she reddished being surrounded by kids for once, as she spent her professional life surrounded by adults. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. She yeah. guys have got to hang out and be a kid. Exactly. I mean, ever since three, she'd been a professional yeah. actor. I mean, probably I, getting to go to school and Obviously, stuff. she was working all the time. Uh, Which shows by just how incredibly talented that person she is. is. She is. Uh, at this point, Foster had made more movies than Parker had. Parker said, If I'd gone sick on Bugsy Malone, I swear she could have taken over. Yeah. Yeah, she had an incredible amount of experience. Yes. Um, Foster. I mean, she worked with Scorsese. Yeah, twice. And twice. she worked not only with Martin Scorsese, but she also worked with 
Richard Harris and yeah. Martin Sheen and Robert De Niro. And, yeah. You know, it's like – People that – just amazing titans of acting that you just – just being around you was yeah. that. And she obviously was in, incredibly intelligent. I was such a fan of hers. Yeah. I remember so many of her movies like Candlestick Park. She did so many – awesome kids movies and adult movies at the same time it's like she she straddled the world of disney and scorsese it was really interesting yeah yeah she was she's fantastic foster and bayo's families got along really well so they end up spending a lot of time together offset bayo recalls that he and jody would make out in the hotel they stayed at during production she was horrified when she saw what the crew did to her hair and eyebrows to make her look like tallulah she said the crew lied to her about just giving her rinse and ended up bleaching her hair with peroxide. Yikes. It was also the first time ever having her eyebrows plucked. Well, she was a very – she was a tomboy. Yeah. She always oh, yeah. played the tomboy parts, except, you know, when she – taxi driver, you know, she played yeah, yeah. You know, a more feminine young prostitute girl. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. as – growing up, like all the parts she had for Disney and stuff, she was a tomboy. Yeah, you yeah. Know? She was oh, like, totally, totally. Always one of the kids, one of the boys. Uh, of course, Jodie Foster went on to win an Academy Awards for her acting and is now a prolific director as well. Yeah, she's going to be doing uh, True Detective. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Wait, is she in it? She's I think so. She's going to be in it? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's – and I think it's being written again by the guy who wrote the first season. Yeah. I, I can't remember his name. She was really good. What was that? Uh, the Hotel oh, – the Hotel – Oh, the Artemis Hotel? Yes, the yeah. Artemis Hotel. Yeah. She was really she good was in that. The, yeah, that was a, it wasn't a great movie, but she was good in that. She yeah. is always great. I can't think of a, no, I can yeah. think of movies that I didn't really like, but I can't think of a performance of hers that I didn't She's like. She's always phenomenal. It's so fearless in terms of just going after it you know i mean yeah. if you look at her at hotel artemis i was like damn she's aged but then yeah. you look at her in real life and it's like oh no she's still yeah yeah absolutely she's, gorgeous yeah. she just doesn't <laughs> care about how she looks she's just right. such a consummate artist she is she's incredible absolutely incredible uh martin lev was cast as dandy dan uh martin suffered from myalgic encephalomyelitis, uh, known as ME, also known as chronic fatigue syndrome. Oh, bummer. Yeah. Such uh, a good little actor. He was so perfectly part. Yeah. Perfectly cast. Perfectly cast. Uh, He was a founding member of the patient group Action for ME, uh, which was uh, just a nonprofit designed to get more uh, exposure to Good. this chronic fatigue syndrome. He had a role in The Day After Tomorrow in 1976, the made-for-TV sci-fi movie directed by Charles Crichton, which would go on, who would go on to direct A Fish Called Wanda. Uh, Charles Crichton was a, a long, long-time director, British yeah. director. Uh, unfortunately, in 1992, Martin killed himself. Uh, because of the, the disease, the huh? age of thirty-three. I'm pretty sure it was because of the chronic fatigue syndrome. Yeah. It's just too much, and it's really, really disappointing because he was so good in this movie yeah. and should have been huge. Should have well, been a it's disappointing anybody yeah. doing that, yeah. but it's just yeah. I mean, I get it though. It's like life is about quality, not quantity. Yeah. And if you just don't have the quality, I understand. I mean, yeah. I don't condone it or anything, but it's just you know sometimes it's just too hard. I can imagine. Not being able to get out of bed and knowing that you have this talent and just feeling like everything's being robbed from you. Like, yeah. it just it just sucks. 
there's obviously a lot more actors in this. Uh, we don't have time to go through everybody. Yeah. Um, I just want to point out, like, Leroy, who I thought was phenomenal. Uh, the boxer. The boxer. Oh, yeah. He was so end. fun. And and the kid who plays Babyface, who just has that one scene. Oh, my God. But he's so good. Uh, here we go. Okay. So I'm good. scared, but I'm not going to be scared. Okay. Yeah, go. He's just so, so amazing. Good. He was the highlight. I think Babyface is probably my favorite. Oh, so good. Oh, here I go. I'm going to go. Guys. Yeah, go do it. Oh, I'm scared, but I'm going to do it. He did talking himself into <laughs> screwing up his courage. He was like nine. And he it was, was just awesome. He was great. There was a lot of little standouts. Yeah. The the little kid who was the tap dancer. Yeah, he which, was great. What a yeah. horrible F you, yeah. Alan Parker. You set this whole damn thing up about this kid wanting to audition with his tap dancer. You bring out you bring out a gun, baby, you gotta shoot it. You brought well, out the, 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 the shoes and he never put them on. He never yeah. tap danced once. Well, and the fact that when he sang the song and not being able to dance, they had somebody else come out and dance. Yeah, the dance she did some tapping. It was like, why don't you have him tap? I kept waiting him to put the shoes on and do a little tippity tappity. Maybe he couldn't actually tap. Maybe that. Well, was the you know, then, then it's time for a rewrite, pal. <laughs> he was such a good little actor. He though. was, he but so that's great. the one thing. I know. I Always, agree. Even I agree. when I was a little kid, I was like, what about the tapping? Well, and I th- I thought they were trying to start. Maybe there was supposed to be like a, a cut subplot with him and the girl. Like it's for the, the girl that dances for him. <laughs> it's called Tappity Thomas, and it's about uh, <laughs> his his tap dancing his, career, his ability to tap. Yeah, he ends up becoming Mr. Bojangles. <laughs> nice. So the film was rehearsed and shot in England, largely at Pinewood Studios, uh, very famously known for where Hitchcock shot most of his movies. Star Wars was shot. Star there. Star Wars shot there. Everything yeah. stud. James Bond movies. Oh, yeah, everything. Uh, just huge studios, huge uh, sets. Part of it burned down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the 1929 New York Street Complex was the movie's main and largest set. It was actually completely built. It was on the largest soundstage at Pinewood Studios at the time, B-Stage on one-meter rostrums to raise it. The massive set utilized over 80 tons of concrete which had to be poured into its foundation. Wow. Real steam was piped through its base so as to gush out of the street's set manholes. Must have been fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bayo has come out saying that it was like Disneyland. Like sure. you come Because everything looks so real. Yeah, and everybody's dressed apart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the street complex had to be a constructed set rather than a real-life location as the child actors were not allowed to work at night due to regulations. As such, the set could be lit for night during daytime filming. Uh, the pedal cars were just bikes with car frames on them. Uh, the pedal-driven cars would achieve a maximum speed of around 10 miles per hour. They were all custom-built by hand, and each cost around the same amount of money as a regular road-going mini at the time. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if any pedal cars Which were... Which was like $4,000. Yeah, I mean, at the time, it was probably three grand, if that. Uh, if any pedal cars were left unattended, the actors would immediately jump in them and terrorize the crew by racing around the set. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you got 100 kids. How could you not? Kids don't behave. No. Kids get no. bored. Kids get hungry. Kids yeah. get cranky. Kids, if you don't, if you don't have a way to uh, engage them, yes, they are going to find ways they, to engage themselves. <laughs> they will do it. And these little pedal cars are are great. Apparently, it was really hard to get them going if you were if you had somebody else in it with you. Yeah. So there's a couple times in the in the movie that you can actually see the feet of crewmen pushing the car from behind. Nice. It's very bare. It, you, it barely there. Like it's, it's, if you, if you're not looking for it, you don't see it. Well, they also but, uh, put their feet down to stop it. <laughs> it was, they didn't use the brakes. They just it was the their, greatest, the old Flintstones. And the fact that when they wanted to peel out, they'd show them pedaling real fast and you'd <laughs> yeah. hear the cars going. <laughs> yeah. It was very clever. It was so funny. Uh, the splurge firearm proved to be problematic. 
Yeah. Surprise. Uh, they initially tried using a wax-covered ball of cream for the splurge guns. Ooh. It would actually shoot out of the out of the gun. They tested this on production manager Garth Thomas, who was well over six feet tall and weighed about 280 pounds. Director Alan Parker fired the gun at Thomas and hit him in the forehead, knocking him off his feet and leaving a huge red mark on his skin due to its velocity. Good lord. Yeah. They decided to abandon the idea of filming the firearms directly. <laughs> Makes sense. You don't want to shoot a bunch of kids in the face. <laughs> Headline, kids murdered on set to film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, instead, the firearms fired ping pong balls, and a fast cut to a victim being pelted with splurge was used to convey the impression of the rapid, rapid fire firearms. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Editing magic. Well, it was all looked like it was done in reverse or something. I mean, it just yeah. all, well, it was like a speed manipulation. It just, yeah. it all looked weird. It was it was definitely odd. It was all very odd. Uh, the film used 1,000 gallons of synthetic cream for the splurge guns. The original plan was to use shaving cream, but it was a ballistic failure, and it hurt the actor's eyes. Yeah, it stings, baby. Yeah. Over 1,000 cream pies were thrown during production. That final scene is insanity. There is more cream pie than anything else on that set. Yeah. <laughs> it was insane. Uh, they had up to six teachers on hand during production in a special full-time school adapted to space at Pinewood Studios. The improvised educational facility had to handle various teaching grades and levels from students within a five-year range age span and also from two different countries. Yeah, well, I mean, one was England. It's not like they had to worry about... No, no. Bilingual. You know. No, no. But they had different... Uh, I think they had different parameters and things. And because Americans are dummies? Expectations, probably. <laughs> put, put all the Americans in the dummy classes. Put the Brits in the smarties. <laughs> uh, head teacher Lynn Simonin later wrote a paper about the temp film set school. It's now used as a guide for on-set schooling. Very cool. Yeah. Well, you had to come up with a plan, man. You have 100 kids, six teachers... Do the math, at baby. That's least a least 100 kids. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And all those kids need to be schooled and at least engaged and looked after. Or, yeah, at least watched over, if anything else. Uh, I can't imagine the scheduling nightmare uh, of having to do it. How long, how much longer they probably shot because they couldn't shoot at night? Like, yeah. Well, if you look, I mean, there's only, the, the most difficult scenes would have been the nightclub scenes, because that has the yeah. most yeah, the extras most, yeah. and the most kids. That's true. There's a lot of scenes that are just a couple of kids or car scenes yeah. or, yeah. you know, sneaking around the docks or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, even – look, you only have a, f a few hours. Yeah. You yeah. don't have a lot of time for a lot of takes. You've you, you cast yourself a bunch of unknowns and, and unprofessionals right. except for a couple. It's going to be a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing that the movie – turned out as good as it did considering oh yeah and there was a rivalry between the uk and u.s kids that included the uk dance girls blocking the halls in pinewood studios to the u.s actors and dancers if they didn't give the quote-unquote password they would be sprayed with a fire extinguisher yeah kids are dead <laughs> this was back to like you know when you moved from middle school to high school all the seniors would have paddles and they would find you and beat the crap out of you that that scene in uh, Dazed and Confused, yeah, that was de rigor. That was the norm. Yeah. That yeah. happened all over the country from Texas to California to everywhere. So yeah. bullying was not only encouraged, it was sanctioned. Ugh. Uh. Yeah, you got to get tough. 
You gotta get tough. You gotta take your licks. Yeah. yeah, this world isn't gonna roll over and be kind to you. <laughs> it's gonna get you in the butt just like that paddle. Take your uh, licks. Uh, in addition to the script, Alan Parker also wrote several songs for the movie. Uh, when he performed some of them for producers David Putnam and Alan Marshall in Parker's Kitchen, Putnam responded by saying, I think we'd better get a professional composer. Parker chose Paul Williams to score the film in order to get a more palatable modern sound and simply because he liked him. Everybody loved Paul Williams. Oh, yeah. He did the music for the Muppet movie. Yeah. He did all... He had this voice that was really familiar. Yeah, it yeah. <laughs> Williams had scored Brian De Palma's commercial failure, Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah, with Kiss. I love that movie. Everybody who saw that loved that movie. One of my favorite movies. Uh, I, I don't know why it failed at the time, but eventually we'll do People an episode. People are fools! Yeah. Uh, he'd also written huge pop radio hits such as We've Only Just Begun, uh, which was, I believe, sung by the Carpenters. We've only yeah. just begun. Uh, and uh, just an old-fashioned love song. It's just an old-fashioned love song. Exactly. <laughs> In fact, Williams would soon win an Oscar for his song Evergreen from the film A Star is Born in 1976. Yeah, I don't know how that one goes. I don't know how that one goes either. I haven't even seen the original nor the remake, uh, so I have no or, idea. Uh, well, the original was actually from the 30s or 20s. Oh, I you're think. right. No, 30s. I think it was 30s, the 30s, yeah. yeah. Uh, but this was good. It was uh, Chris Christopherson and, yeah, yeah. and uh, Barbara Streisand. Oh, yeah. No, wait, yeah. No. Was, was it, it Barbara Streisand or was it? Uh, yeah, it was Barbara Streisand. It was Barbara Streisand. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Was it, I was thinking of Bette Miller, but that was The Rose. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so William, Paul Williams felt that... The challenge for me was to provide songs that reflected the period and yet maintain an energy that would hold the young audience's attention. <laughs> it was a very good Paul Williams. I love song. Paul Williams. He's great. According to Parker, Williams was writing while on tour, recording songs in different cities and sending the completed tapes to Hollywood. Arriving during the first pre-shoot rehearsals, the songs had to be accepted and used as they were with voices by Williams, Archie Hahn, and others. This was... Such an odd choice yeah. to make all of the songs sung by adults. Well, this is the thing is it wasn't their first choice, but it was too late. Like it just the stuff came in too late. Uh, neither the director nor Paul Williams were very comfortable with with the results of how it looked in the movie. <laughs> it's so weird. It's just so weird and <laughs> off-putting. It's just like all of a sudden you see this little kid and it's like, the little like fizzy or fuzzy or whatever they called him, the 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 guy who wanted tap dance. Yeah. When he turned around and started singing, it was so off putting. I wanna dance. It was so off putting. Uh, Williams later wrote, I was really proud of the work, and the only thing I've ever doubted is the choice of using adult voices. Perhaps I should have given the kids a chance to sing the songs. Probably. Uh, Parker also commented, Watching the film after all these years, this is one aspect that I find the most bizarre. Adult voices coming out of these kids' mouths. I told Paul that I didn't want squeaky kids' voices, and he interpreted this in his own way. Anyway, as the tapes arrived, scarcely weeks away from filming, we had no choice but to go with it. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, nobody wanted this, but it's just how it was. I, I didn't want it. I <laughs> It was super. Look, I'm not a huge fan of musicals in the first place, and I could take the songs in this. It was fine, you know. I knew it was Paul Williams, but yeah, it's super weird. 
weird. Even even Jodie Foster had a hard time selling it. I that's her song is so bizarre. Yeah. Uh just singing about herself and which I mean makes sense in a musical, it's what you do, but all like, the songs are about them. It's like Bugsy sang about yeah. Bugsy, she sang about she. Yeah. It, yeah. It's yeah. Little Tappy Boy sang about tapping. He wanted to tap so bad. Uh, the film premiered at Cannes in 1976, competing for the Palme d'Or. <laughs> yeah, well, it came close. It did. It actually lost out to Taxi Driver, of all things. Uh, cannot think of two very different movies <laughs> than the same star. <laughs> that must have been a great festival for Jody. It was a great year for her, yeah, yeah. Uh, the film was released to mostly favorable reviews from the critics. Roger Ebert gave the film three and a half stars out of four and called it a charming one with yet another special performance by Jody Foster. Uh, this just sounds creepy. <laughs> uh... Gene Siskel also gave the film three and a half stars out of four and said that What makes Bugsy Malone really worth watching as opposed to being just a cute idea are their fine performances, terrific choreography, catchy songs, and bright photography. <laughs> bright photography. Yeah. Well, maybe the <laughs> I mean, it's, print wasn't that good that we saw. It was shot well, but like it just seems like an odd compliment. Uh, the film did have its detractors. Gary Arnold of the Washington Post panned the film as... A freakish embarrassment and an icky misconception. Though he singled out Jodie Foster for praise, of course. Pauline Kael of The New Yorker called the film... It's nothing but its god-awful idea. Writing... We're not watching actors in a story. We're watching kids doing a stunt. And so we're primed to ooh and ah, the way the audience does for a chimp on The Carson Show. Gosh, she was equating the children to, to monkeys. Well, she was a uh, unhappy person. Pauline Kael was a very unhappy person. Uh, yeah, so, you know, mixed reviews. Uh, the film was not a commercial success in the U.S., bringing in just over $2.7 million. Because people didn't know what the hell it was. I, I don't know how you would even market the movie. That's another problem. They didn't know how to market yeah. it. Yeah. Paramount gave it a limited release, usually in second-tier theaters and a double bill with The Bad News Bears, which had been out for six months and was no longer much of a draw. That's how I saw it. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's Bad News Bears? Well, saw it as a, as a double feature. Double feature, yeah. The film was commercially successful in the UK and Japan. Uh, there were actually plans to create a UK TV show to be shot in Ireland, but it never happened. Yeah, because once they started figuring out putting it together, they were like, this is going to be a, it was a nightmare of a movie. We're just going to be in a perpetual hell for as long as this series lasts. So, Alan, I have an idea. Um, that movie you just did? Is. Let's do it 13 times <laughs> over the next 13 weeks. I will shoot myself with a splurge <laughs> yes. gun. yes. Uh, the film garnered 15 award nominations, including Best Motion Picture Musical Comedy, Best Original Score, and Best Original Song for the title track from the Golden Globes. And Crazy. An, and an Oscar for Best Original Song Score for Paul Williams. Bugsy Malone. Uh, no, it was just nominated for these. It didn't actually win any, unfortunately. Jo- Jodie Foster received two BAFTAs, Best Supporting Actress and Most Promising Newcomer to Leading Film Roles. Uh, technically for this movie, however, both her nominations for her work were her for her work in Taxi Driver, in addition to this work in Bugsy Malone. For the best newcomer. Yeah. 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 Um, Alan Parker received the BAFTA Award for Best Screenplay and a nomination for Best Direction. I would really like to read the screenplay because a lot of times it's hard to understand what the little mushmouths are saying. Yeah. But it's uh, the screenplay just pops, man. There's some really yeah. great dialogue in that. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not... 
as snappy as it could be because of some of the kids, but it's like it's yeah. really written well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Kirkland actually won the BAFTA Award for Best Production Design, uh, which is very well deserved. 100%, that yeah. The set was incredible. Great. And you have to realize everything was to scale for kids. Yeah, yeah. This wasn't like kids and adults. Everything was a little bit smaller. It was all just a hair yeah. smaller. Yeah. And it was it was interesting because like when they went to the the Chinese laundry, yeah. that was an actual location and the doors were tall and it was the first time I was like, "Oh, these yeah. kids seem really small." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um since the release, Parker has actually ignored the movie as part of his of his oeuvre. Oh, come on. Uh, he felt it didn't fit into his body of work. Uh, his later films include Midnight Express in 1978 with a screenplay by Oliver Stone. It garnered a Best Picture and Best Director nomination for Parker and won Best Adapted Screenplay for Stone and Best Original Score for Giorgio Moroder. Horrif- Have you seen that movie? No. Horrifying. About a kid yeah. that's smuggling heroin into a foreign country, you get, gets popped. Right, and goes to prison. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. It is not. It is gritty. It's a really good movie. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't. I want to say no. I've definitely not seen it. I definitely not seen it. Put it uh, on your list. It did. I am. I am. Uh, he did Fame in 1980. What a feeling! Bow, 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 bow. Yeah. Fame was huge. Became a TV series. Yeah. Uh, the movie was really good, but the movie was a juggernaut. It's like it was one of those, yeah. you know, like. Uh, flash dancey type of movies that just came out and, and yeah. grabbed everybody by the cajones. <laughs> he did uh, Pink Floyd, The Wall in 1982. Oh, man, such an underrated, awesome yeah. movie. Yeah. Birdie in 1984 with Matthew Modine and Nicolas Cage. Told you about that last yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, such an amazing movie, a very underrated movie. If you haven't seen it and you want to see a really good like PTSD Movie oh, yeah. and, and two amazing performances by Nick Cage yeah. and Matthew Modine. Like, yeah. Matthew Modine is just kind of in his own little world. Nick Cage is like his best friend, and, and he's trying to bring him back. He's, oh. he's, Nick is trying to bring Birdie back oh. after their traumatic experience in the war, I believe. Okay. Such a good movie. I'll, have to check, I'll check it out. Uh, Angel Heart in 1987 with Mickey Rourke and Robert De Niro. Oh, De Niro playing Satan. Yeah. Us. Oh, oh. Great movie. Well, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. so cool looking. Like yeah. it is yeah. so uniquely visually put together and it is a good movie, but it's not a great movie. There's just some like something missing. I will never forget the first time I saw this was in college and I well, maybe college, maybe earlier. But it was the first time I saw somebody open a boiled egg with a spoon, like in the, one of those cups oh, yeah. where he cracks it. And it was just Robert De Niro's Satan cracking open oh. this egg. And I was like, I, for some reason, that just stuck in my head. Good twist, though. Good plots. It's, like a, it's, a, it's, not a, it's not a great movie. It's a, it's a well-put-together movie. and it's As time goes, I'd like to see. I haven't seen it in probably yes, 20 years. Yes. I'd like to watch it again because I really liked it when it came out. Yeah. But uh, I think – it's probably over time better. I am not a huge Mickey Rourke fan. Like he's fine to me. I mean, I know back in the day he was incredible and all this. I haven't seen enough of his early movies, and I didn't. I don't think I caught him early enough to like be really in his corner. Yeah. Um, he, if you want to see Mickey Rourke at his best, uh, Pomegranate Village. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this movie, Diner. Diner. Diner yeah, is yeah. just incredible. Fun. Yeah. Plus, yeah, yeah. it's got incredible performances by Kevin Bacon and yeah, yeah. Uh, Daniel Stern and and uh, the guy that I, I found newfound love for from Mad About You. 
Paul Reiser. Ah, my new best friend, Paul Reiser. <laughs> Whose name you can't remember. <laughs> yeah, but now I like him. I've, yeah. I, this show has made me realize uh, that I like Paul Reiser. I always thought a, I hated him. You're now a riser head? I'm a riser. I'm a rising. A rising? You're yeah, just a rising, a rising in the sun? Yeah, okay. Uh, he, in 1988, he did uh, Mississippi Burning with Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe. Oh, so good. Nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture and another nom for Parker for Best Director. Actually won for Best Cinematography. Evita in 1996. Everybody's got a misstep. It's a musical. That's why I included it. Uh, and Angela, Angela's Ashes in 1999 with Emily Watson and Robert Carlyle based on the Frank McCourt book. Uh, that, was a, that was one of those like... Ooh, don't F it up, man. Everybody loved that book. That yeah. was like the yeah. book of the era, and everybody was waiting for the adaptation. And he did a really great job. Yeah, he did a good job with it. Yeah. So Parker's had a long career, and, and obviously is a very good director. And I can see why he would... You're he, Look, Bugsy Malone doesn't really fit in with Mississippi <laughs> Burning and Pink Floyd the Wall. But, you know, it he has to give himself credit for making one of the most unique films ever made. And yeah. tackling... Something that most directors would be like, <laughs> F you. Yeah, yeah. A hundred kids, no adults, and a bunch of pies. If you didn't come up with this idea, you would not direct this. No. No one would be handed this and go, okay, no. yes, that sounds like a great idea. A bunch of kids playing gangsters and throwing pies. I mean, it's so weird. And it's a musical. Yeah. It's... And we're going to have adults sing. <laughs> that was the best when I was pitching it to Phoebe. I, I was like, yeah, it's a gangster movie with kids. She goes, really? And I said, yeah, and it's a musical. And she's like, I'm out. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. She uh, <laughs> yeah. was not interested in seeing yeah. that. Uh, Her loss, though. Since then, Parker has embraced the movie. Uh, they've actually, back in 1983, he actually did a stage adaptation for Bugsy Malone, which he wrote uh, using Williams' music. It ran for like 300 performances. And I think after that, he kind of poo-pooed it and went away with it. Huh. Um, although, there is a revival currently touring the UK right now. Uh, so if you want to, if you're in the UK, you want to see Bugsy Malone, the stage musical. I would. Got to be better than Newsies. <laughs> Everything's better than Newsies. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. That's all I got. So um, look, A, Scott Baio is a D-bag, but he wasn't always. <laughs> he was a little he, boy he at one time. He was a talented time, young man. A talented little boy. And if you want to see something that you've, like, nothing that you've ever seen before, yeah. That is going to wow you. I am sorry, but you're going to be like, what? If pot is legal where <laughs> you live, eat an Eddie, smoke a yeah. J, be a blunt, do whatever yeah, you want yeah. to do, get yourself good and toasty, get to your nearest library website, yeah, pop yeah. the old girl on the TV, and have some fun, man. It's a ridiculously weird movie. I just, I want to be in a pie fight, Adam. <laughs> I think it's time to bring the pie fights back. I agree. I we, agree. Everything. The Brady Bunch. Uh, Starsky and Hutch. I mean, everything at some point had a pie fight. Somebody yeah. got a pie in the face it was at some a, point during a, a show. It was the glory days of pie fights. It was a, yeah. I mean, it was it was the last gasps of the vaudeville era. Yeah. yeah was yeah. the pie thing. Because it would always be like, you know, they put on the, like, the, the yeah. The, Barbershop quartet music or whatever. And they would just throw pies at each other, and then you see the pie. It is still effing hilarious to see somebody get a pie in the face. It I'm is sorry. That's it true. is true. Yeah. It is comedy gold, and it always will be. 
Did didn't uh, the Clint Eastwood monkey movie have a pie fight? One Probably. of them. I feel like I remember a monkey throwing pies at people. Yeah. No. I yes, a hundred percent because I remember <laughs> like the bad guy getting a pie in his face. <laughs> Clyde, right turn. Look. It was it was such a great way of portraying violence without actually being violent. The weird thing was, it was like these kids getting shot in the face with the splurge guns. Yeah, they died. I, yeah, but then they, we had this big, yeah. you I know. Mean, I mean, it was kind of like they were in, out of the picture up until the last scene. They heavily implied that they were dead. Well, they weren't around anymore. I spent like when they had the fake splurge gun and it blew up, and yeah. it was just this knuckles. big old mess. Knuckles, please, no, not knuckles. Yeah, yeah the kids were gone, but. In this massacre at the end, when it was just like, they must have used a million. Po- I yeah, mean, yeah. The the cleanup after that, I would. Oh my god, the PAs, the poor sons of bitches. Oh yeah. I bet you they had two. Two of the PAs probably committed suicide <laughs> because of the, the all the no, cream and crap. It's so. Oh much. my god. But yeah, I mean, they were just covered in the goo. But I think the weirdest thing about the movie is the end. They just kind of decide, eh, we're not going to go by this. It's like a collective imagination of yeah. these kids, yeah. and their collective imagination goes from being gangsters to being good guys, and now it doesn't kill them anymore. It's just so weird. Watch the movie, people. Just watch it. I I think that maybe it's because they all have the guns at the end that they didn't become ineffective. You know, like it's it's. I think like, you're reading too much. All right, I am reading really heavily into it. I also have a theory about how they're all actually dead, and that Scott Bayo and Flory Duggar are the only ones that actually survived. Uh, and because they escaped, they had mm. no pie on them at all. Oh. They get in the car and they leave. Yeah, and, and I, I think everybody else is dead. Well, that's a sad ending. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, <laughs> do yourself a favor. Check Please. it out if you can. Look, you need to see this movie. You may not like it, but you literally will not see anything else like no. it. It is such a unique movie, and there's very few experiences like this that are so unique unto itself. Yeah. It's a genre-bending thing that should not work at all. And yeah. in some places it doesn't. But ultimately it does work. And I, it, is, yeah. it yeah. is a decent movie. And it is definitely worth a watch if you're a cinephile. I had never seen it until we, we watched it for this episode. And I will say I could not stop smiling through the entire movie. Oh, because fun. it is so ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the kids are always, yeah. They were obviously having so much fun. And, and, and just imagine being a kid for like three months in London shooting this movie. That was the thing, Adam. That was what, because as a little kid, I wanted to be an actor. Yeah. Uh, I told my mom I was going to go to school long enough for me to count to a million because that's how much money I would make. And that's all I need to know. I was wrong. But, uh, <laughs> but that was my dream. And watching this movie of all these kids playing. I also loved gangster movies. So yeah. all these kids get to play gangsters and throw pies at each other. I was, in, I was enraptured. I loved this movie. Yeah. It would come on, you know, the ABC Sunday night movie or whatever. It would come on occasionally. Yeah. yeah. And every time we would watch it just because it was just so different and so weird. But as a kid, it was just so uniquely – you could take ownership of it mm-hmm. in a way that you couldn't with other films that you watch with your parents and stuff. You right. know, Star right. Wars, all that stuff. You know, it's for everybody. But this was for kids, man. Yeah. yeah. This was for us. Yeah. So a big thank you to Alan Parker's kid who suggested it being children. Yeah. <laughs> so if it wasn't for that that light bulb, this movie would not have happened, uh, or at least not happened this way. Uh, but yeah, give it a shot. Uh, definitely check it out. Canopy, get yourself a library card. Oh, yeah. Please, even if you don't use it, just get it because that is how they get more funding. So get a library card. And, man, the libraries aren't like it was when you were a kid. They have movies. They have all sorts of 
yeah. very contemporary books. They have all sorts of contemporary magazines and stuff. It's a great resource. It's a very, very important thing to uh, support. support. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. Support. Yeah. My brain is if gone. It, if it wasn't for the library, we'd two movies this month we're watching because of the library. Yes. So. And also, with everything crazy going on, with people banning books and yeah. losing their minds about empathy and learning about <laughs> other cultures and people, it is now so important to have libraries and them to have all the resources yes. they need because 100%. we're going to lose a lot of really great art yeah. if we yeah. don't support the libs. Exactly. So do something good. Do something good. All right. We'll be back next week. Yay. Yes. Oh, baby. Yeah. So commercials. I got to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> you were kind of going a little Australian there. Yeah. <laughs> if I go sick on Booklet. <laughs> We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. That's my mama, already in progress.